And I think about it like this. If you think about a surgeon, what does a surgeon have to do before a patient can be healed? He has to cut. Okay, before a patient can be cured from cancer, they first have to allow chemo into their body, which is what? Poison. You welcome poison in your body and it ends up healing. Similarly, it's only by accepting the pain and the difficulties of life and navigating them with Jesus that we can be made whole. And by routinely doing all we can to avoid trouble, we, we ensure that we're not going to be mature down the road. We ensure that we're not going to have endurance when difficulties come. And certainly we need it as we follow a God who walks towards a cross. Hello and welcome to the Spiritual Formation Podcast, a place where we have conversations that lead to transformation. I'm your host, Nathan Williams, and on today's episode, I will be sharing with you a message that I preached several months ago entitled, Consider It Joy. The sermon explores the truth from James chapter 1 and is primarily concerned with the relationship between wisdom, suffering, and Christian maturity. And before we begin, I'd like to take just a moment to thank each and every one of you for listening, tuning in, and being a part of the conversations that have been taking place over the last few months. I also want to assure you that more content is on the way, more guests will be interviewed in the coming months, and if you have found any of these conversations helpful, please consider taking just a moment and leaving a review of the show so that others who are like-minded can find it and be a part of what God is doing in spiritual formation during this season. As for now, let's go ahead and dive into today's content. Go ahead and turn with me to the book of James, if you have your Bibles. Uh, We're going to be in James chapter 1 as we begin this morning, and I will go ahead and read our text, which is going to be James 1, verses 2 through 8. It says this, Dear brothers and sisters, when troubles of any kind come your way, consider it an opportunity for great joy. For you know that when your faith is tested, Your endurance has a chance to grow, so let it grow. For when your endurance is fully developed, you will be perfect and complete, needing nothing. If you need wisdom, ask our generous God, and he will give it to you. He will not rebuke you for asking, but when you ask him, be sure that your faith is in God alone. Do not waver, for a person with divided loyalty is as unsettled as a wave of the sea that is blown and tossed by the wind. Such people should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. Their loyalty is divided between God and the world, and they are unstable in everything that they do. So we're going to look into this text today, but before we do, tell you a quick story. Um, For those that don't know, I am originally from the great, mighty state of Texas, and uh, my, fam- my family moved to Virginia when I was eight years old, um, and I spent the rest of my childhood growing up uh, in the Shenandoah Valley. And because of the fact that, you know, our family totally relocated, all of, all of our extended family uh, still lived in Texas, so we would re- routinely just take these long trips to go and visit our family. Now, the only problem was that my oldest brother, uh, Timothy, he could not fly on an airplane because of his physical handicaps. So that meant one thing. 
very long summer drives to Texas from Virginia. Um, we would load up in our high top Barney the Dinosaur purple van, and we would spend two days crammed together. We were a family of six, um, four brothers, all within four years of one another, my dad. So we fought for 24 hours straight. I mean, it was just this, this really, really uh, long trip that we, we never looked forward to. And my youngest brother, Justin, uh, he ended up moving back to Houston several years ago. So now I find myself still having, even as an adult, to make these, these trips to Texas. But now I exclusively fly. No more driving. No more, no more driving to Texas. And flying is really a beautiful thing, isn't it? Um, after a short initial flight, I've got this quick flight, and then I have a, a connection. But within like five or six hours, boom, I'm in Houston. My brother's picking me up from the airport. I get to, get to see him. Um, and and the, the, also the wonderful thing is I can just kind of check out on the way. I can pop open a book. I can catch up on email. I can do whatever I need to. I can just sit and wait. And you know, the thing is that it's only because I've driven to Texas so many times throughout my life that I'm able to fully appreciate the flight. When you've spent that amount of time and you know the mileage you're going and the amount of time you're going, you begin to really appreciate it. And, and guys, I believe that we long for that same kind of shortcut in our spiritual lives, don't we? We long for shortcuts. And through difficulties, I think we learn to be people of perseverance. We, we learn to be people of gratitude. And as James says, endurance. We learn things from pain. And we learn things from difficulty that we just cannot learn any other way. There's no other way to learn some of this stuff. However, there are many Christians that have been wrongfully told that if they simply believe the right doctrine, or if they simply pray the right types of prayers, that they can bypass the journey of difficulty. You don't have to go through that. You don't have to, you don't have to deal with this, but you can still arrive at the destination you want to, which is maturity. But James reveals that actually nothing could be further from the truth. There are zero shortcuts when it comes to transformation. No shortcuts whatsoever. But we still try to find them, don't we? So let's think about the destinations here. What are we talking about? The destinations that we seek might be something as vague as going to heaven. You know, we, we have a destination of I want to go to heaven. Or maybe it's something really specific as getting free from a particular sin a particular area of bondage in your life that you're struggling with. But if our lives in Christ are ultimately programmed simply towards reaching a destination, I just need to get to heaven. I just need to get free from this thing. Then we will be unable and incapable of doing what James has told us to do, which is what? Training ourselves to consider the troubles and difficulties of the long journey as an opportunity for God to accomplish his purposes of maturity within us. So when we do all we can to avoid pain, when we do all we can to avoid trials, by extension, we're also avoiding the very thing that's necessary to become people of endurance, to become people of maturity. And we have to recognize this tendency within us so that we can stop settling for a life that's tailored towards comfort while Christ is calling us to a life that is intended for transformation. And that gets to the bottom line, doesn't it? 
we long and we point our lives towards comfort. And Jesus says, no, 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 I want you to turn your life and I want you to focus on one thing, be transformed, be transformed. So again, we have to change the way that we view the Christian life as a whole before we can subsequently change the way that we see difficulties and trials in the Christian life. So again, to quote James, we will not be able to consider it an opportunity for great joy when troubles of any kind come our way if we cannot train ourselves to value transformation over comfort. And if reaching the destination, so to speak, is, is the primary value, then trials and trouble actually have no purpose. Why? Because they're simply delaying us from where we want to go. It's just a roadblock. It's not something that God could actually be using. But today we should be reminded again, guys, that we don't use God to get where we want to go. Instead, it is God who's looking to use the difficulties we're actively running from to help us arrive where he wants us to. So again, if you bypass the journey, yeah, you're gonna, you're gonna avoid some things. You're not gonna have to go through some things, but you're also going to avoid the very instrument that God wants to use to produce maturity in you. And, and I think about it like this. If you think about a surgeon, what does a surgeon have to do before a patient can be healed? He has to cut. Okay, before a patient can be cured from cancer, they first have to allow chemo into their body, which is what? Poison. You welcome poison in your body and it ends up healing. Similarly, it's only by accepting the pain and the difficulties of life and navigating them with Jesus that we can be made whole. And by routinely doing all we can to avoid trouble, we, we ensure that we're not going to be mature down the road. We ensure that we're not gonna have endurance when difficulties come. And certainly we need it as we follow a God who walks towards a cross. So to say it plainly, I, I, I love to say it this way, God loves you so much that he would allow you to go through pain for the sake of transformation. He loves you so much that he would let you go through difficult things that you don't wanna go through. But we don't, you know, we, we don't realize the, the totality of this. You know, we don't want to become new people. God's trying to transform us, but we're often very comfortable with where we are, aren't we? We're very comfortable. And while we're content staying the same, God's desire is very clear, it's transformation. So today we're gonna to be talking about a few things. This God of love, this God of love who transforms us into new people by teaching us endurance through difficulty. So we're gonna look, go, go back to this first verse we looked at, James 1, 2. He says, dear brothers and sisters, when troubles of any kind come your way, consider it an opportunity for great joy. I want to talk a little bit about what was happening to, to, to the people that James is writing. So these words were addressed to a community that was under pressure. They were going through some things. They were people who were witnessing social change all around them. They were wondering, where is God in the midst of all that is happening? The social changes and, and pressures that we face today, they're very different. They're different from what the people in, in, in this time were, but we can still recognize the anxiety, can't we? Where is God in the chaos of life? Is God really reliable? I mean, really? How should we live when things around us are changing so quickly and we can't seem to process them quickly enough? James says this, wait on the Lord. 
be patient, endure. And we might ask James some questions when he says this. You know, we might say, really? Trials of any kind? Like any type of trials? Is all suffering to be regarded as good for us? A reason to rejoice because it leads to maturity. And you see, the, the idea of suffering, it's, it's something that can, suffering as redemption. It's something that's really deeply rooted within the Christian faith, but it's also a notion that's been challenged in recent decades. For starters, you know, we, we see that Jesus's suffering was redemptive, right? He dies on the cross, and through that suffering and that death, we find life. There's redemption there. But at the same time, we also need to realize that some suffering just has no purpose at all. And if we don't realize this, then we are going to massively take what James is saying out of context. As one commentator states, Christian and Jewish theologians since the Holocaust, for instance, have pointed out that it is simply demonic to imply that the horrors of Auschwitz are in any way redemptive. You know, surely we would not say to the people who were murdered in gas chambers that they should regard their sufferings as joy because it's leading to mature faith. We would never say that, would we? You see, likewise, the charge, let's give another example, the charge um, of, of you know, seeing your sufferings as joy could only deepen the pain of someone who's trapped in a physically abusive relationship. Such a person needs to be empowered to leave that kind of relationship, not be told to endure for the sake of maturity and faith. I've also heard this passage read out of context at funerals, as if we are simply supposed to make the choice to have joy in the midst of profound loss, rather than deeply mourning, deeply grieving the, the things in our lives. So, so with all of that, what is the key here? How can we actually understand this passage and make sense of it? I believe the key to hearing these difficult words from James is to recognize that suffering is not God's intention, but through it, God accomplishes something greater than that suffering alone. Maturity, wholeness, strengthening. And Colossians 3 reminds us of something that I think is very pivotal here. Colossians 3 says that our very lives are hidden with Christ and God hidden with Christ and God. And that reveals something. It reveals that we are not to find joy in suffering for suffering's sake. Instead, it is that as we live lives that are totally enveloped by Jesus, our lives are totally wrapped in his. That means that when we do suffer, we are participating in Christ's sufferings. They're not just generic sufferings. They're Jesus's sufferings, which ultimately leads to Jesus's resurrection as well. Now that right there, that is why we can consider suffering as an opportunity for great joy. Our present suffering, um, just as Jesus's suffering read, led to resurrection, so do ours. That's his promise to us. So it's not that we just say, oh, suffering's good, better take the pill. No, it's that as you suffer, your life is in Jesus, so you're suffering as Christ and with Christ. And so you will be resurrected as Christ and with Christ. That is our hope. And it's with all of that in mind that we can actually read passages like Romans 8.28 that says, And we know that God causes everything to work together 
for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose for them. That, that verse right there, it can serve as a lifeline to you because of the fact, uh, precisely of what we're reading in James. In, in, in verse two, James says this. He says, when trouble of any kind comes your way. Now that, that's stated with an assumption, isn't it? An assumption that trouble is in fact going to come your way. You are going to have trouble. And that assumption, by the way, is not one that James came up with. James is just borrowing it. And who is he borrowing it from? He's borrowing it from Jesus. Um, Jesus gives this same instruction to his followers in John 16, verse 33. He says, here on earth, you will have many trials and sorrows, but take heart because I've overcome the world. You know, in a time where so many Christians are finding themselves empty, isolated, defeated, or even burned out, it's only appropriate, I think, that we ask ourselves the question, why? Why are so many Christians right now finding themselves leaving the church? Why are so many Christians right now isolated and broken? Why, I think the biggest question is this, why are we so unprepared to endure the difficulties that come with faithfully following with Jesus? Why are we so unprepared? Rather than taking heart, as Jesus says, put your hope in me, I've overcome the world. Or rather than considering it as an opportunity for joy, God, I don't see you. I don't know where you are, but I'm gonna trust that you're in this. Many Christians respond differently. Most Christians I have found over the years respond through anger. All you have to do, trust me, is take a quick trip over to Facebook and you can see the anger that is dished out by Jesus' followers over the present difficulties, over the circumstances of life that are happening right now. And you know, many, I've heard this many times where people say, you know, we need a righteous anger to, to rise up within us and fight against this or that. That the only way to navigate a complex, rapidly secularizing world around them is to be angry. But James, further on in this same chapter, we've read actually talks about this, James 1.20, he said this, human anger does not produce the righteousness God desires. So get rid of all filth and evil in your lives and humbly accept the word God has planted in your hearts for it has power to save your souls. So James is onto something here. While we are tempted to respond to our difficulties, think about the last time you went through something really hard. It's easy to get angry, isn't it? God, why is this happening to me? This person shouldn't be doing that. But but James says something here. Rather than responding to anger, which is our default, James says we actually have another option for those who are in Jesus to respond with patient endurance. He reminds us that when we humbly accept the word that God has planted in our hearts, we're given strength by that enduring word to endure ourselves. I mean, this, this word that God has given us has been held and clung to by the church for two millennia. It has endured. And James says, cling to it. Because if you're clinging to anger, you're not going to be able to endure. So James tells us very simply, take the long view of following Jesus. Don't take the reactive one. This, this political situation we're in, it's going to come and go. Things are going to change. This, this, the, the gas situation, the inflation, it's going to come and go. It's going to, but, but let me tell you something. What is eternal is the word of God who is Christ. So we can endure as we cling to him. 
So James says, human anger does not accomplish the, the, the righteousness God desires. And if human anger does not produce that, then what does? If it's not anger, then what is it? James tells us as we keep reading, James 1, 3, and 4, for you know that when your faith is tested, your endurance has a chance to grow. So let it grow. For when your endurance is fully developed, you'll be perfect and complete, needing nothing. So by responding through fully developed endurance, rather than anger, fully developed endurance, we are able to become people who, in in James' words, are perfect, complete, needing what? Nothing. It's important, however, here, again, there's, there's so much that we could, we could get wrong here. We don't need to misunderstand what James is saying. The word here that James uses for perfect, it only appears 20 times in the entire New Testament. This is a rare word in Scripture. And five of those 20 times are actually in this book, in James. So it's a, it's a theme here. Um, it's a completeness. It's a wholeness or perfection. Again, it's a major theme. So I, I want to I sit here for a minute. What does that mean? Being complete, being perfect. You know, can, can frail and imperfect human beings really be perfect, lacking nothing, as, as James tells us that we can be? And I think there's a danger here because we have to look at our culture. We have to look at our context. Theology is always done in context. So in the context of a workaholic culture that we live in, such a call to perfection can set us up for failure, can it? You know, when, when superhero physiques and Barbie bodies are held up as the, as the standard, um, when plastic surgery and endless dieting makes those themes seem achievable, when success in work is me- measured by your financial situation and gain, personal worth is tied to your accomplishments, then we are in danger of hearing James' words of, of being perfect as an endorsement to live without boundary, to live towards personal achievement as the ultimate goal of your life. You see, further, I I think any call to perfection that lacks nothing sets us up to think, oh, well, if I just can learn how to endure, then I can be self-sufficient. I can navigate this life, this situation, this difficulty on my own. And we have to, again, take this in context. For God, being perfect can be, that word can be taken in its truest sense. But for human beings, however, when, when we see scripture talking about being perfect, it's talking just about wholeness. It's talking about consistency. It's talking about purpose. And that is what James is saying. It's not saying, oh, you're gonna literally be perfect in every way. He's saying, no, you're gonna be whole. So again, we've seen that God's purposes for us are different than ours. We want comfort he wants you to be transformed. God is more interested in your holiness than he is in your happiness. We've seen that God wants us to encounter him in, in new and fresh ways. And, and he's established this, but now James, in, in, in verse five, he transitions. He says, if you need wisdom, ask our generous God and he will give it to you. He will not rebuke you for asking. So again, just, just bear with me. Like, Get this picture in your head. James has just assured his listeners that if they will welcome trials, if they will welcome difficulties, the testings will increase their endurance. Welcome those testings, you'll you'll gain endurance, which will lead to a full maturity in which you lack nothing. But then immediately, the next words out of his mouth is that 
you know, if you need something, he says, you're, you're, not gonna, you're gonna lack nothing. But, oh, if you need wisdom. So if, we need, if we're lacking something, that something is wisdom, what are we to do? He says, James' answer is simple, ask. Ask God in confidence and you will receive. So what are people to do when they recognize their limits? What are people to do when they recognize they don't have the answers for what life is throwing at them? We ask. You know, uh, my youngest daughter, Olivia, she's two years old now, and, and she is convinced, you know, through and through, that she is capable of doing anything by herself. And I mean, anything and everything. You know, she used to ask for help. She used to realize, but now she's in a stage where she refuses help of absolutely any kind. I mean, when she, I'm like, Liv, get your shoes on, honey. Let's, let's go. We're walking out the door. And every time they're on wrong, every time. So I'll go over and I'll say, hey, Liv, listen, let's put these on. No, she, she's like adamant. They're, they're fine, dad, just the way they are. So what does she do? She trips and she falls because her shoes are on the wrong feet. I'm like, okay, but it doesn't start there. I'm like, hey, let's get dressed. No, she didn't want help. She didn't want help at all. She's got her shirt inside out backwards with the tag facing out of her, out of her neck. I'm like, honey, we got to fix this. No, dad. No, it's not even just that though. She's constantly climbing furniture. She's, she's short. She's, she's trying to climb up this furniture. I'm like, honey, it's too tall for you. No, dad. She falls. She hits her head. She cries. She wants me to hold her. It's on and on and on, even buckling her car seat. I'm like, I have to make sure you're safe. I have to. No, daddy, I buckle. I mean, this is, this is what I'm living with. So, I mean, everything we do is hard. Everything we do takes forever because she's got to do it. She's got to do it herself. And rather than recognizing it and accepting some of the limitations that she has, because she's two, it's natural for her to have limits there. You see, rather than doing that, she ignores the limitations. She refuses to ask for help and she ends up injured or stuck or angry or something. And again, I, I'm super excited for Olivia because she's got this independence that I, that I love. And one day it's gonna be a wonderful strength for her when, when she's an adult. But right now, let me just tell you, it only escalates the amount of pain and the amount of difficulty in her life. And guys, the same is true for us. The same is true for us. Rather than recognizing our limitations, simply asking, God, I need wisdom. I need help. All too often, we're stuck. We are injured. We are wounded because we're self-sufficient. I got this, God. I've got it. So here's a key point. When we're talking about endurance, living with endurance does not mean that we learn to do everything by ourselves. It does not mean that if you really want to endure, you got to do it all in your own strength. Instead, it means that if we're really going to endure, we've got to come to the end of ourselves and say, God, I've reached a limit and I need help. I don't know what to do. I don't know how I'm going to make it. I need you to see me through. It means that we can slow down enough to know that God is with us while we endure. He's there in the process. You see, just like Olivia, we, we refuse to acknowledge we need help. So before we can seek God's wisdom, we first have to come to a realization, I need it. He goes, okay, so be complete, perfect, lacking nothing. But when you do lack something, go to Jesus. So when we do go to him, I want to talk a little bit about this. What does it mean to ask God? He says, you know, this is simple. Just ask God. 
What does it mean when you ask God? I, I think this too can be easily misunderstood because we have a couple options here. God, the cosmic vending machine, put faith in, the blessing pops out. Or we have God, the cosmic Santa, you know, God is loving, so he's just going to give you whatever you ask for. So keep on asking. I think that's hardly what James has in mind when he tells his listeners, ask in faith, ask in faith. In the same way that wisdom is not a one-time gift, we need it all the time, don't we? Wisdom is a capacity that's rooted in ongoing attentiveness to God. If you, if you have wisdom, that means you're constantly looking at God. God, what, what are you doing? What are you saying? It's not about having the gift to be able to say, I know all the answers. In the same way, asking and giving, they're not single offense, they're ongoing activities. We're constantly asking and God is constantly giving as we go to him. And I think a way to illustrate this is this. It would be a really odd thing to say, God, I want patience and I want it now. Now. I mean, that's, that's ironic, isn't it? But that's what we do. Asking God is not about a single event. It's more about this, this cultivation of a relationship, a relationship where we as people are continually turning to the giver of all good gifts, all good gifts. You see James 1, 17, same chapter, a few verses beyond. He says this, whatever is good and perfect is a gift coming down to us from God, our father, who created all the lights in the heavens. He never changes or casts a shifting shadow. So, so here's the deal. According to verse 5, this God who possesses all good and perfect things is also a generous God. That's a good combination, isn't it? He possesses everything good and perfect, and he's also generous. So as we develop a lifestyle of looking to God, where is he? I'm going through something. Where is God? Let me look up. Stop looking down at, at life. We develop wisdom. We, we see what God is doing. And it's by the outworking of that wisdom that we have the tools to endure in Jesus. We can't endure just by putting our, our nose to the grindstone. We have to be looking up and seeing where Jesus is. So again, then, then James makes, makes a turn at the end of this passage. He says in James 1, 6 and 8, but when you ask him, we've talked about what, it, what does it mean to ask him now, but when you ask him, be sure that your faith is in God alone. Do not waver. For a person with divided loyalty is as unsettled as a wave of the sea that is blown and tossed by the wind. Such people should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. Their loyalty is divided between God and the world, and they are unstable in everything that they do. Guys, I'm just I'm being honest this morning, okay? The amount of bad theology that has stemmed from misinterpretations of this passage, they just go far and wide, far and wide. So let's just start with this this morning. What does it mean to have faith without doubt? What does that mean? James is not talking about some arrogant intellectual stance that ignores questions. I'm going to ignore the problems I see in my own faith, in my own life. I, I'm not really sure why I believe this, but I'm just going to ignore that because I'm supposed to have faith without doubt. That, that's not what he's saying at all. Here, James is contrasting two things. In verse 5, he's talking about God's wholehearted generosity, right? God is generous. And then in verse six, he is contrasting that with our human tendency to be divided within ourselves. God is generous, yet we are often not. We are divided. He's emphasizing this singleness of heart and devotion. So think about it like this. We want to be people who have the wholeness of ourselves, 
turn towards the wholeness of God who has everything that we need and he offers it to us generously. Um, I don't know how many of you guys are familiar with like the Enneagram personality types. How many of you guys are familiar with that? Anyone? Okay, so if you are familiar with the Enneagram personality types, I'm a type one. If you're not familiar with the Enneagram, that means that I'm a perfectionist. That is, that is my personality, okay? And what that means is I typically make life much harder than it needs to be for myself. So I'll give you an example. Recently, I decided uh, I wanted to purchase a new TV. It was on my list. That's something I've been wanting to do. So um, I make this decision, and while I knew that I wanted a new TV, I had zero idea of what I was getting into when I started doing some research. Because that's me. I'm a type one. I'm going to do research. I'm going to figure out what's the best TV in my price range. What, what is the best size that I could get? What, all of this stuff. So whereas a few years ago, you basically had to decide between a few factors, like what resolution do you want? Um, you know, what's the screen size? But now, guys, I'm just telling you, the, the options are endless. Do you want QLED or OLED? You want LED, LCD. You want HD, 4K, or now even 8K. What, what do you want? We've got it in all flavors. Some TVs are, are powered by one panel of lights. Some have strips of lights that emit better detail. Some even have individual lights for each and every pixel on the entire television. So here I am, type one, and I'm like, whoa, there's so much here. I'm looking at dozens of TVs and I'm getting lost in the weeds here. So, you know, and I come back to the question, I'm just like, I just wanted a TV. I just wanted to watch some TV and I, I can't even pick one because there's just, I'm overwhelmed. So finally I bought one and I'm second guessing myself. I'm like, oh, was it the right choice? So I take it home. I, I do all the work. I'm it on the wall and one of those strips, I'm like, oh, this one has strips. One of them was broken. Okay. So I'm like, ah, so I put it back in the box. I drive it all the way back and I get in a different one. I bring it home. I put it on the wall. I do the whole thing again. This one is not near as bright. I'm like, ah, I can't, I can't do this. So I take it off the wall. I go back. I return it. I get another model. And then I finally get, and you guys, I'm telling you, you guys can sleep well tonight knowing that I have a TV in my living room and it works and it functions and it's great. Okay. You see, I, I think the, the, the correlation is this. We know what we want in life, don't we? We want peace. We want joy. We want fulfillment. We want purpose. So what do we do? We shop around. I mean, our world is offering us limitless options. So we find a job and we gaze at it for purpose. We say, whoa, this is really good. But what if I could look over at my friends and families? I could find peace there. I could find joy in that. And we get a little bored, we take it back, we go to possessions. Okay, I, if I had this, then I'd feel a lot better. If my car was a little bit newer, then I could... We do this in all areas of life. And what does it do? It's exhausting. So the only place where we can try find true, lasting peace, joy, purpose, fulfillment in life, the only place that we find true wholeness is in Christ. What at first seems like a really complex search only turns out to be the same thing offered in different packaging. You see, there are endless ways to live unfulfilled. Endless ways. But there is only one way to live whole. In other words, guys, the technology, the resolution, the screen size, all the offerings and the variation that the world has to offer, no matter what you choose, you're really going to end up with the same thing. It's a TV. That's what you're left with, a TV. 
No amount of bells, no amount of whistles is gonna change that. Jesus, he takes our hand and he walks us past the slick, new, marketed world that we live in. And where does he lead us? To a rugged, blood-stained cross. He says, I want you to, this, this is your life. This is your life. And he reminds us that what we are looking for can only be found in him. So for James, the bottom line is this. To be divided between God and the world or to be double-minded, as some translations say, means that we have two competing views of the world at the same time. Can you relate to that? Some days you're like, man, I really need to focus on Jesus. And other days where you are just really immersed in the cultural way of thinking, the cultural goals of our time. And what does James say about this? We, we have these views, one in which God is the giver of all good things and we rely on him. But the other way that we also live is which we're humans and we're isolated and, and we have to fend for ourselves and figure out life on our own. So if you, if you will humor me, we'll break this into two, two sections. First, James starts and he says, enduring through difficulty leads to maturity. You've got to endure. Secondly, he says, he transitions to reveal something else. How do we become transformed? God is more interested in your transformation than your comfort, but how does he do it? By singular devotion to Jesus, refusing to live with divided loyalty between God and the world. Singular devotion. There's a term called athleisure. Have you guys heard of athleisure? Um, it's a term that was officially adopted into Webster's lexicon and dictionary this April. Okay, and this market for athleisure, it grew 5% each and every year, starting in 2009 to 2014. So to put this in dollars and cents, it goes from a $54 billion industry to a $68 billion industry. And the trend accounted for nearly all growth in, in clothing, in apparel, um, footwear, the accessory sector during that period. It's all, most of it is all athleisure. So what does this mean? It means people in American cities are wearing fancy athletic clothing with brand names like Lululemon, Lucy, Lorna Jane, Gap Body, Athleta, Nike, everywhere. They're wearing it all over the place, including their office. People are wearing athleisure to work even. And according to an article that was released by the New York Times, the market grew again. And now it's over a hundred billion dollar industry and this was in, at the end of 2016. It's probably even larger now. But there's a very strange twist. So I was doing my research on this. Very strange twist in the growth of athleisure. Most people are just wearing it. Not actually working out in it at all. The same article continues. It says, for many wearers, the athletic part of athleisure remains aspirational. For example... Sales of yoga clothes increased 10 times as much as actual participation in yoga classes from 2009 to 2014. Guys, apparently we like the workout look. We just don't like the workout lifestyle or the workout practices. And a question for each and every one of us is, do we prefer the name of Jesus or do we prefer the person of Jesus? Are we trying to put on the name of Christ because we want to look like a disciple or because we want to be a disciple? We actually want transformation. Do, do we want the look 
without the practices. You know, we've, we've established some things this morning. We want endurance, but we don't want the trials. We want transformation, but we don't want to have to deal with the loyalty and devotion singularly to Jesus. And we want wisdom, but we don't want the relationship. But guys, the bottom line is that James says this. He says there's no other way. So today the call is this, that we learn to consider it joy when we encounter difficult things because we can trust that God is transforming us even when we're in immense pain. That we can seek and ask God, the giver of all good things, for wisdom and grace in our time of need. And he is going to give it to us as we do life relationally with him. And lastly, that we can live lives of singular devotion to Jesus rather than dividing our loyalty between the things of God and the things of the world. So as we come to a close, I just want to ask you to bow and I want to ask you to just invite the Holy Spirit into this moment to be with you, to minister to you. So, so where are you today? Are, are, you, are you finding yourself living from destination to destination? Valuing comfort over transformation? Or maybe, maybe you're living angry today. God is saying, take the long view over the reactive view. Endure, I'm giving you my very presence. I am, Jesus says, I am. He's the word of God. Maybe you've been just escalating your pain like, like Olivia. I got this. I can do it myself. And yet you, you are falling. You are, you are broken. Ask God for wisdom. Maybe you're living double-minded. And, and today Jesus is saying, hey, get rid of, of, of that, that dividedness and give me your whole heart your whole attention that I, that, that I would be the very first so that I can give you what you're looking for. Lastly, maybe you can say, honestly, I've wanted the look without the work. I've wanted the name of Jesus without the person of Jesus. Let him minister to you, repent. Let's, let's be people of repentance and say, God, whatever you have, I want it. So Lord, I, I ask for grace and healing. I ask for humility and courage. May we be people who consider it joy when difficulties come our way. May we be people that, that seek you, not, not the things of earth. May we be people who live lives of, of devotion to you, Jesus, not the things of the world. We love you and we ask this in your name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Spiritual Formation Podcast, where we have conversations that lead to transformation. For more information about the show or share it with others, please visit rss.com slash podcast slash SFP for a direct link. If you found today's episode helpful, please consider leaving us a review on whatever podcast platform you are listening through. Thank you.